G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're turning our attention today to what we think will be some hope for people living in an emotionally abusive marriage. Some people spend their days managing the emotional carnage that comes from living under controlling behaviour such as explosions of rage, silent treatments, destructive criticism, manipulation and guilt trips. In marriage, we all want to be treated with love, respect and value. And it is devastating when things don't go as we expected and it all comes crashing down. Well, our special guest today has worked through her own 26-year journey of breaking free and overcoming the cycle of emotional abuse. Jackie Chaveriati has released a new book that sets out to place tools in the hands, especially of women, who are found in this very situation. It's called Goodbye For Now, Goodbye Forever, Footsteps To A Functional Family. Jackie, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thank you so much for having me today. Jackie, as I've read those uh, few thoughts there from my introduction, uh, thoughts there of an emotionally abusive marriage, uh, this has been your story, but I wonder whether you've got a reflection or two on, uh, you know, when you're on the receiving end of emotional abuse, that's like uh, the all-encompassing thing. Uh, What's it like being on the receiving end? Well, I grew up in a home where behaviours of emotional abuse were present. So those very behaviours that you just mentioned. So behaviours of rage, of name-calling, of gaslighting, of blame, of accusation, of intimidation. You know, that was the reality of my childhood growing up. Um, And as I grew into becoming an adult, um, those very um, behaviours and really the foundations that they laid within me saw that I attracted people who um, treated me the same way, same, the same controlling behaviours. So to be on the receiving end of that, you know, those behaviours, they always target a person's value, a person's self-esteem, their um, creativity, their confidence. So the impact of those behaviours in my life Um, really laid the foundations of shame, of rejection, of, um, you know, self-hatred and um, believing I was not loved or not lovable. And, you know, they, they became the foundations of who I was until I met Jesus. So when it's your experience growing up, you sort of anticipate that that's normal and it's normal for me to be treated that way. It's normal for me to treat others that way. And so... It's a bit of a shock when you realise that's not what everybody else thinks. But did it feel normal to you? And that's the the reason why you're sort of attracted to the sort of people that you are. Yeah, absolutely. It does feel normal. And, you know, it's what I call familiar behaviours. So, um, you know, when you grow up in that, you know, you are so close to those behaviours that you you don't really realise that it's wrong. And, you know, and other people don't live like that. And so... 
it wasn't until I was in my early 20s and really, you know, chasing Jesus and, you know, um, going after him, you know, and, and the call uh, upon my life that God began to open my eyes to really what was righteous living and what was, um, you know, what was right behaviors within a relationship. And little by little, um, the Father was teaching me. Um, yeah, and that was my journey. Okay, just early in our conversation, probably worth mentioning that you're not a qualified psychologist or a specialised counsellor in this area, but you're really telling your story in your book. But uh, you've had some good success in seeing some resolution, and uh, and you know you've actually uh, you're actually out of that. Uh, abusive relationship and you're into a new uh, uh, marriage and uh, you're into a completely different uh, s- different set of circumstances. I wonder if we come back to your story, can you give us a, a little account of, you know, it's a long time to be talking about all these years, but uh, in a nutshell, so that listeners know what your story is as we get some in, into some of the details. Yes, absolutely. So I was trapped in a cycle of emotional abuse. Now, a cycle of emotional abuse, what it looks like is the first stage is the honeymoon period. Then it moves around to agitation and agitation goes around to explosion and then back to the honeymoon period. And this was my reality over, really over the last, well, I'm 45 today. So, you know, really over um, most of my life, um, you know, when I, when I stepped out of my first marriage, when I chose to leave that abusive marriage, you know, there were still um, other areas in my life that I had to overcome. So, you know, the Lord continued me on that incredible journey and that, just the process of breaking free. So, you know, with with that cycle of emotional abuse, like I mentioned, you know, you go through the honeymoon period. So, you know, that, you know, things are looking good within the relationship, you know, and um, what happens is it builds into this, and builds into agitation. And what that agitation is, is when the abuser um, is not getting what they want when they want it. So it's around the area of needs within our life. So when they're not getting what they want when they want it, that agitation builds and it builds to go around to the next stage into an explosion. And that explosion will look like an attack in some way. You know, each each person is different in their personality and even in their own experience of childhood. And, you know, a person who's being emotionally abusive, sadly, that was their reality when they were growing up. So they, they were carrying their own brokenness in that area. So that, that might look like rage. It might look like being given the silent treatment. It might look like, you know, um, you know, accusation and intimidation. It might look like very painful name calling. And, you know, that will um, then move. So once they get, once that, that attack is finished, then they will go into their, you know, um, into back into that um, sorry back into the honeymoon stage and I was just thinking in my in my pause there you know depending on the person there might be you know and I'm so sorry um, you know it's all my fault you know they might be buying gifts for that person in trying to fix things um, or it could be the other way where an abuser actually refuses to apologize and they refuse to even look at that it was their fault and they continued on that blame cycle and so what happens is 
as the cycle of emotional abuse goes around, what it does, it cements the relationship. So what this is called is a trauma bond. And that cementing of the relationship happens was as each stage of that cycle continues around. And this is the reason why, you know, so many people can't just leave an emotionally abusive relationship because once the trauma bond kicks in, you know, there is lies that, um, that are sown within, within that cycle, lies like, I cannot live without you, lies like, I'm deeply in love with you. And, you know, as, as those lies continue to build, what it does, and this is the whole purpose of an emotionally abusive relationship, is to take the independence away from the victim. Okay, that victim needs to get to that place, sadly, that they really feel they can't live without the abuser. And this was my reality um, within, especially within my first marriage, where in the early years I was going through um, domestic violence. And, you know, I didn't experience domestic violence in my childhood. That wasn't a part of my family. So um, graciously, I was, by God, graciously, I actually able to have a voice regarding that behavior and confront it until it stopped and it did stop. But looking back, you know, I could really see that's when the emotional abusive behavior really was evident and really kicked in. I imagine, and listeners might have their own thoughts uh, and own insights here too, but if you're early in your marriage and you recognise that there are some traits that are coming out, that there is a cycle developing, that somehow or other, if you're going to get help, you need to get the help early because uh, once these things continue, and as you say, what develops is like a trauma bond, uh, then once you're in the middle of that, it's very, very hard to break free. So if you're reflecting on your whole experience in your first marriage, Jackie, if you'd got some help earlier on, do you think that would have made a difference? You know, the thing is, is that first, my first marriage was an extension of what I knew. So, you know, it it wasn't like, you know, this for me is not right. It's not, it's wrong. You know, it's what, it's what I knew. For me, it was my reality. So that, that familiar behavior didn't, didn't drive me to go and get help. And secondly, you know, with domestic violence, there's always the message that it's your fault. Now, you're the reason why I'm behaving this way. So, you know, I carried that blame. I carried, you know, a, um, a responsibility. And within my experience, within my childhood, you know, a part of um, the abuse that I received was called scapegoating. So with scapegoating behaviour, you know, you carry the blame of the abuse. So I carried, I naturally carried responsibility for abusive behaviours that went on in my life. So because of that responsibility, you know, I, I didn't think to go and get help. And this is, often, um, this is often what's going on within emotionally abusive relationships. The victim is carrying the responsibility. And also you even carry like this, um, you know, there's such a shame that you don't want to talk about it. There's such a, a fear of what other people are going to think. And, you know, you just don't want to talk about it. You actually hold it so close so tightly to you that you know you don't allow people into what's going on in your life and because you're in this cycle you've always got this sense of hope and optimism that maybe this time it'll be better because as you say after the 
explosion phase in that cycle. There's what some people refer to as a buyback phase and the buying flowers and the compliments and I'll never never do that again. And so you're actually deceived in some sense here if there's no help being sought because you think that that'll be the last time and it'll never happen again, but then there's a build-up again and then there's another explosion. So uh, you're, you're in this constant optimism that something good will happen, but it doesn't happen always. That's right. And, you know, um, often you'll hear the word charm um, when we talk about emotionally abusive relationships. And so, you know, when a person is flipping be- between the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality, so, you know, when, then, when they're bringing on that charm again, that is, you know, when the, that perception is being really sewed into the relationship and that once again, you know, um, I deeply love that person and I can't live without them, those lies are then cemented into the, you know, in, you know, into the victim. So, and can I say that the experience of the honeymoon for, um, stage within the relationship isn't the same for everybody because my experience was I didn't receive flowers and I didn't receive apologies. You know, I always wore, wore the blame of the abuse within the relationship. But for other people, they do receive jewellery, they do receive flowers, they do receive the apology. It just depends on the type of abuse that is being um, outworked in the relationship. Jackie, I'm so thankful you're just sharing your story so openly. And I know that there'll be listeners who are saying, well, how could God allow you to get into a relationship like that and uh, things to go so badly? But how do you see the presence of God in what was happening in your relationships? Uh, Because uh, from what I understand, you, you found a relationship with Christ early in your life. And so some of this was like parallel to uh, you know, learning to know God and love God, but uh, other stuff was happening around your relationships. How do you describe the presence of God in all of the things that you've gone through? Yeah, sure. Well, can I just say firstly um, that, you know, what, I, what I've seen regarding emotionally abusive relationships is there is relationships where, the, where God is actually saying, you actually need to leave right now. Like, that's, this is what he's saying. Like, this is so destructive to you that you, you need to you need to go. And you know, and I've seen with other people in my life and also other friends' lives that there they they um God hadn't opened a door for them to leave. And they so they remained within the relationship. And their choice to remain in that relationship and um and for me my choice to stay in the relationship God just did an incredible work within me. Now, through those years, it sadly was like a a very difficult roller coaster. You know, that God had planted me in this incredible church, inspired church, um, that people who and leaders who loved me and valued me, they gave me wings to fly. You know, I was in the worship team. I served in other ministries as well. I had this great passion for the house of God and this intense love for Jesus. And so I, I, on a Sunday, I would go to church and church really was more my home than any other home in my life. So I would go to church and I would be with these people who showed me this unconditional love and they gave me opportunity to grow. And really, like the Word of God says, those who planted in the house of God will flourish. My life is an example of that beautiful scripture. You know, as I planted myself in the house of God, he brought, he, he flourished my life into freedom. And, you know, um, I would go out of church and I'd go back into this abusive home um, each week. But, you know, that abuse drove me to my secret place. 
Now, that, that abuse drove me to worship. You know, I worship Jesus in my kitchen. I worship Jesus in my bedroom. Like, I went after him fervently. And, you know, when I was in that cycle of emotional abuse, um, especially when, like, nasty names were called and I was going through the silent treatment and, you know, actually it drove me to the Word of God. And as I, like, you know, spent time in Psalms and Song of Songs and in Isaiah, the Lord was actually... He was he was replacing the foundations of my life. You know, I had I was consumed with shame and rejection, and self rejection was a big part of my life. You know, I would emotionally bash myself to the, you know, just to the point of you know um, just living in this in this um, depression at times. And the Lord, little by little, started you know ripping up those foundations and started replacing it with His incredible love and His value, and reminded me that I was His princess, I was His daughter, and you know. So there was this, there was this place of um, great safety, really, within an abusive relationship, and and that was my reality, you know, up until I was only thirty three. This is twenty twenty with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. Twenty twenty on Vision. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Our guest this hour is Jackie Chiveriati. She has released a new book that sets out to place tools in the hands, especially of women, because that's Jackie's experience, who are found in the situation of being under real control, emotional abuse. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Jackie, when we talk abuse and control, uh, you have taken some time in your book to talk about what you call an agenda of control and this idea of coercive control. How do you describe all that? Yeah, that this really is a huge part of my story. Um, this this agenda of control, co- um, coercive control, is spoken a lot about in the media at the moment because of the incredibly sad situations um, around domestic violence that's been happening over the last couple of years, especially that's been highlighted, I mean. Um, so for, in, in my experience, uh, I first want to say that, you know, the agenda of control, it is a spirit, okay? It's called the spirit of Jezebel. And in my situation, my family, this spirit of Jezebel was passed down through the generations. So the way that it looked like that for me was I would, um, you know, I I attracted people who were controlling, so within a romantic relationship, within friendships, within the workplace, um, and also within the church. And because I hadn't learned how to have a voice with um, people who operated from a gender of control, I would submit to that controlling behaviour. And over time, as the Lord was teaching me as I went through this cycle of emotional abuse. He was teaching me how to have a voice and how to actually rise up and confront controlling behavior. And, um, you know, the agenda of control, the purpose of it is to shut down a person's voice. Along with that, its agenda is to take away their independence. And, you know, I suppose um, an effective form of emotional abuse and this has been a big part of my experience is through this what you call destructive criticism now day in and day out destructive criticism targets a person's self-esteem their confidence and their self-worth where they're not allowed to do things their way and the use of henpecking and fault finding where it leaves a person walking on eggshells and second guessing themselves 
Now, the purpose of this behaviour is to take away a victim's independence and to create codependence. And at the core of the abuser is a deep fear. And this fear is found in inadequacy and insecurity. Yet to cover that, that up, they become the expert. And this, this behaviour, you know, is them acting like someone who is superior in the relationship. Now, it becomes like a, a parent-child relationship. It's called infantilization, where a person is um, behaving throughout the relationship they are superior and it's no longer an equal relationship. It's not an adult to adult relationship. It's a parent child uh, relationship. And often this person actually doesn't have um, much of an idea of what they're talking about yet they're using a convincing argument with the agenda to control and hold the power in the relationship. And this is what it's about. They want to take away the power of the victim. They want to hold that. So it could be like within a marriage setting, it could be like washing the dishes the way you cook, your parenting style, how you dress, being not allowed to decorate the home. It's a message of, I can't trust you, hence the victim believing they are not able to trust themselves. So this is where a lot of, you know, gaslighting, a lot of the um, second-guessing yourself, a lot of walking on eggshells, you know, watching over your shoulder. When is the next attack going to be? Because it's this, this person on top of the victim always um, letting them know that they are superior and they must be always... Um, um, really not allowing them to be themselves within the relationship. Okay, 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation, let's take a call. David is in Cairns, North Queensland. Hello, David. Welcome along. Thank you very much. What are your thoughts, David? Um, I have that with um, parents and step-parents and... Um, I yeah, ended up joining the army when I was 16 and uh, after leaving same did 20 years as a paramedic uh, in three states and I saw it really up close and personal and fortunately uh, I woke up to it when I was seven. I spent a weekend at um, my best mate's place, we're still friends, and I came back and I said, hey dad, um, Malcolm's parents hug and kiss each other. And they sleep in the same bed. And I didn't get belted once, and I even broke a window. And they all go to church as a family. What's going on? Wow. There's there's a whole set of different values in play. And uh, personality-driven here, as you reflect on your parents, David. Let's a thought or two here from Jackie. Jackie, as you hear uh, David reflecting on that, what are your thoughts? Um, David, that was exactly my experience as well. You know, I had, I went to a Christian school, you know, with families who really lived a functional life. You know, the way that they, they treated their children with respect, they were, um, they spoke well to their children, they were not verbally abusive, there was not name calling going on, there was not blame. You know, there, there was consistent behaviour and, you know, Within an emotionally abusive family, there's very inconsistent behaviour. It's like rolling on a roller coaster. David, thank you so much for your call and our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Just to say in here, some people are saying, well, I'm having dreadful experiences and where will I find these functional families that could be a role model for me? I'm hearing that you will likely find them in your local church. That's not to say that everybody in your local church is perfect, but people in your local church will be on a pathway. They're on a 
they're on a road to being functional families, even if they've got their areas of dysfunction. Your thoughts just very quickly, because we're going to go to news, but a quick thought on, on what you'll find typically in your local church families, Jackie? You know, the Lord brought into my life a friend that I went to school with, and she became uh, my best friend for many, many years, and still is today. And, you know, um, the Lord, like, allowed me to join her family, like, at special occasions, like at birthdays and Christmases. And I'd watch them all sit around the dinner table having conversation. And, you know, that that was not ever my experience because within an emotionally abusive relationship and families, you know, conversation and friendship just doesn't exist. And, you know, I find that we really have to pray and seek the Lord and ask him to bring these people and these families into our life that we can start getting a glimpse of what function and healthy relationships look like. Jackie, you speak from your perspective, and of course you're a woman, and you were on the receiving end of this coercive emotional abuse from a male, but it can happen the opposite way too. Some of the principles and some of the tools we'll talk about, these apply equally to men and women. Uh, Give us your insight here. Absolutely. You know, emotional abuse is across the board. You know, with um, domestic violence, as we can see with the statistics, it's often where where, um, men are the abuser. But within emotional abuse, I've seen, I've spoken to both men and women who've experienced emotionally abusive behaviour within relationships. And of course, as the Christian broadcaster, we're all about preserving marriage, but there are challenging things and uh, sometimes the decision to decide to stay and see things through and see some level of uh, healing of change uh, but sometimes it's just not going to be that case because when there are uh, threatening situations that threaten harm then it is time to leave at least uh, initially in separation while you sort things through but ultimately for some it will mean ending that relationship altogether so this decision that people have uh, do I stay or do I go no doubt you get lots of feedback from uh, that sort of question Jackie. Yeah, look, I think it's a very important thing to address within the church because, you know, my experience, especially when I was growing up, you know, um, as a young teen, sorry, an old teenager, 16, uh, when I when I really entered into church life, um, you know, I, I heard so many sermons on fighting for your marriage, you know, and being committed and staying for your marriage. So for me, I was 100% committed to my marriage, you know, and I made a choice that I was going to fight for it no matter what. You know, but the thing is, is that two people fight for a marriage, not just one person. And if you're in a marriage where with a person who absolutely refuses to change and, you know, is, is constantly blaming the finger, you know, um, you know, what, ha- sorry, pointing the figure, um, what happens is, you know, you're really stuck. And, you know, we, we have to um, always work on ourselves because change, you know, really does start with us. And with my journey, what the Lord was teaching me right from when in my early 20s, you know, I had beautiful mentors in the church that, that the Lord brought me, um, when I, especially, you know, as I was within domestic violence and coming out of domestic violence. And once again, I'll say that wasn't something that I was talking about at that time. Um, but I was open to having mentors in my life. And, you know, one thing, uh, one book they introduced me to was um, Boundaries. And as I began to read through that book on boundaries, the Lord began to highlight some of the abusive behaviors that I was experiencing. And the first abusive behavior that he highlighted was the silent treatment. Now, I used to go through 
extended silent treatment. And that wasn't a part of my childhood. You know, we, we yelled and screamed and name called, um, you know, my, my, my parents and talking about that. And I might say that I grew up in a broken home. So I had a mother and father um, who were divorced and I had a stepfather. And, you know, growing up in um, that home, you know, we, we, um, was yelling and screaming and name calling. But, you know, when I got into my marriage, I went through this horrendous extended silent treatment that sowed a deep wound of worthlessness into me. Like the rejection was really quite intense. And, you know, as I read that book on boundaries, the Lord, he really showed me that this behavior was wrong. And that was my first step in setting a boundary and and confronting that behavior. Um, And little by little, it actually stopped. And, you know, um, over time, the Lord was teaching me how to set boundaries. But one of the biggest things he was teaching me was setting boundaries with myself. And the reason why is I hadn't learned how to manage my response to abusive behavior. So my response was the same as my childhood. I would scream, I would yell, I would name call. And um, so I was actually contributing to the emotionally abusive behavior within the relationship. So as the Holy Spirit was teaching me, um, I began to change my response. And my response was being assertive in the relationship. And eventually the way that I did that was I stopped reacting to the situation and I started addressing the abuse. So what happens, we get into this cycle of the situation that happens. And, you know, um, the Lord, he showed me, don't address the situation, address the abusive behavior that's going on. And the reason why is because a victim reacting to the abuse, what it allows the abuser to do is to point the finger and say, look at you, you're crazy. Look at you, it's all your fault. Look at you, you're the one who's out of control. So what happens is there's there's no accountability for the abusive behaviour that actually occurs. That book you talk about, Boundaries, uh Kevin Cloud, John Townsend, uh, for interested listeners who might be looking for that book, I'm familiar with it. Uh, 1-800-316-316, we're taking calls. Let's hear from B in Victoria. Hi, B. welcome. Hey, how you doing? Good. What are your thoughts for our conversation? Oh, I'm just so grateful that um, you're having this conversation because it seems like I was brought up in a Christian home, Christian parents, but the abuse that happened in the home and then in in my marriage um, because of that belief that that's just what happens in life and you just have to um, accept it and live with it. But, um, you know, that when I, um, I did some hospital chaplaincy and people started telling me they were so grateful just for me being me rather than having to do anything or be anything and... And then I started to stand up for myself and that's when I was hit. So um, to be assertive and, and realise you have worth and value even if anyone else isn't telling you that in a marriage, you know. So I'm just grateful. B, wonderful thoughts. Uh, this, this issue that is around our confidence that comes from knowing who we are and how valuable we are. Uh, your thoughts here, Jackie. Uh, what are your thoughts for B? B, I want to tell you that you are amazing. You know, that the Lord has you on a journey of breaking free from, you know, obviously you were treated without worth and out of value as a little girl and you attracted that, you know, through your relationships. I'm just so excited to see that the Holy Spirit is showing you that, you know what, you're not a doormat. You're actually of, you know, priceless worth 
You know, you are a royal diadem in the in the in the hand of your um, um, Almighty God, and you know He's putting you on a journey of not only setting you free, but you're going to make a difference. B, you're going to see other women's lives set free. So I encourage you to go for it. Be wonderful. I was just going to say, I've just been given a job in counselling and helping people find their meaning in life now, and that's what I was always struggling to find, and now I can encourage other people to help them find their meaning and worth and values. So, yeah, I'm grateful. Amen. B, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's talk about some of these tools because uh, there are going to be some who are saying, well, you're describing my marriage right now, Jackie. Uh, I'm not ready to leave yet, but I need to be able to manage some of the coercive control that's going on. Uh, how do you describe what these tools might look like that will help people to to able to have their uh, their, their level of strength increased here yeah you know the thing is is that often in marriage especially for for a woman she'll look to her uh, husband for her value and you know we we find security within our relationships we find security with having be living in a beautiful home find security in our role as a mother and a wife you know, but when we are living like that within an abusive relationship, what what then happens is when our um, husband, you know, is treating us without value and without um, love and it begins to really um, attack our identity. And when I was going through that cycle of emotional abuse, you know, I would um, go through the explosion um, stage of the cycle and that's what would drive me then to my relationship with Jesus. And, you know, what would happen in that process is I went through the process of forgiveness and I, I processed through the pain and then I went straight to the Word of God and into worship. And, you know, as I was worshipping, I was rising up and I lifting my sword and I was going to the word of God and I was replacing the, the harmful nastiness and words that were spoken over me with truth and with the word of God. And what that did, it began to change my identity in Christ. You see, my, my foundations were found in abuse. My foundations were found in the emotional abuse of my childhood and the emotional abuse of my first marriage. So the Lord was actually, you know, through that cycle of emotional abuse, laying new foundations within me. He needed to break those foundations to be able to lay new foundations. You see, as an 18-year-old young woman, I sat at a bus stop, Parramatta Station, on my way to Bible College. And I was sitting there at 7.30 in the morning and I was reading Isaiah. 54. And Isaiah 54 talks about new foundations, foundations of beautiful jewels, of, of lapis, of rubies. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, Jackie, the years ahead will be years of laying new foundations. Now, fast forward a couple of years, I was on the worship team. We had a pastor, a visiting pastor, and he prophesied over me and he said to me, your life is like climbing a mountain on crutches. And as you take one, and my life was like that. And, and he said that eventually you'll get to the top of that mountain and you'll fly down the other side of that mountain. And living in an emotionally abusive relationship is like climbing a mountain on crutches. You will take one step forward and you'll fall back, maybe two, three steps um, backwards. You'll cry out in pain and you'll get up and you'll try to take another step forward. And that was my life. You know, breaking free from the cycle of emotional abuse was incredibly hard. But as I went through that cycle and I, you know, I went through forgiveness, I processed through the pain, I ran to Jesus as he was laying a new foundation of my identity in Christ. 
I learned how to manage my response to emotionally abusive behaviour. I started setting boundaries to that abuse. And as that cycle went through over those 13 and a half years, the Lord broke me free. Wonderful. And so the identity that we have isn't in husband, and it could go the other way, isn't in your marriage with your wife. You'll find your identity in Christ because it'll be opposite to the experience that you've had with all that coercive control. You'll find grace, you'll find mercy, you'll find worth, you'll find value. And some of those tools, forgiveness and setting boundaries, uh, wonderful things that you've been able to talk about there, Jackie. Let me just bring in here, because you had this marriage, you then left that marriage, you are remarried now, and so you've got a contrast between what now is a functional marriage, and you can compare that to what went before. I wonder if you've got a thought or two here on just how significant it is to be able to recognize some of these different values at work in your life today. Absolutely. Um, firstly, I just want to take a, a, a couple of steps back, Neil, and just say that in 2008, I was at a women's conference and I was always really involved in the styling of the women's conference at my church. And, um, you know, th- this particular day, I was not able to go in and sit in the auditorium with, you know, all the, you know, all the um, congregation or the church because I was in such a desperate state on the inside. You know, I felt like I was drowning under the emotional abuse. I felt this emptiness that was all-consuming. I had my face in my pillow crying out to the Lord, help, please help me, each night when I went to bed. You know, I, I, the, I was at a state where, you know, the, the emotionally abusive behaviours had done, you know, a lot of harm within me. And, you know, I, I needed God to do a miracle for me. And I was at this conference and the speaker was speaking on the subject of ask. And um, as I stood in the foyer um, listening uh, listening in the loudspeaker, I, I said to the Holy Spirit, and it was like the Holy Spirit was speaking through me, um, Lord, I ask for a functional marriage with the tears rolling down my face. And, you know, that was really the beginning of the end, you know. And sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers like we hope him to. You know, some, sometimes, you know, we think he's going to restore the marriage that we're in, where in my case, he actually gave me a brand new marriage. And, you know, the following months was the beginning of the end of that relationship and I chose to leave emotional abuse. But my ex-husband ended the marriage and he was a man that I deeply loved and who I sacrificed much for within that marriage. So my life exploded into a thousand pieces at that time. But, you know, I was so determined, one, I wasn't going to get stuck in grief. And two, I would do whatever I had to do to see that I would be healed and, and really ready to attract a man from a healthy uh, functional family and I said to the Lord Lord do whatever you have to do within me that I'm able to attract a man who is healthy and functional so I went on that journey through counseling I educated myself on emotionally abusive behaviors you know and I, and I um, pursued it through prayer ministry I went to LL ministries and I did the work in myself and often we don't attract a person 
who's healthy in our life because we actually haven't done the work in ourselves. And we have to be ready to attract those people into our life. And when I met Marco, I was ready to attract a healthy man. And, um, you know, the first few months of that relationship um, was, you know, we had some difficulties because the Lord was allowing some circumstances for me to, sh- to show me Marco's character. And you know, um, you know, I, I, I was I knew what what made I knew what made a marriage not work. So I was looking for specific character in a man. And through those circumstances, um, the Lord was showing me how Marco managed disappointment, how how he managed you know his frustration, how he managed when I was having a, a, a messy day. And you know, Marco just come up consistent in his character. And this is what one of the um, things that really stand out in a person who is you know comes from a function family there's consistency in who they are and there's transparency in who they are as well so today you know in my life um um, today in my life, I am, you know, living in this marriage where I don't have to perform, you know, for love. You know, it, it, you know, it's not based around, you know, how well I'm doing in the relationship. You know, my um, my husband is consistent in the way that he shows me love, and he says I love you every day. He's consistent in the way that he shows me value. You know, he's consistent in the way he manages his emotions and expresses how he feels when there's been a little bit of conflict. You know, and that consistency. And it's brought a real security for me in the relationship. I'm not always guessing if he loves me. I know that he loves me. And, you know, I'm not walking on eggshells in the relationship. I'm free to be myself. And along with this, he gives me wings to fly. You know, he, he's, my, he's the biggest cheerleader of my dreams. He's not insecure and in competing with me. And, you know, these are some of the um, I suppose healthy behaviours that you want to see in a functional relationship. And when you can anticipate that those are the things you look for in your future marriage partner, those are the things you work on in your own responsiveness when you're in that relationship too. Hey, you take some time in your book to give advice for those who are single, not yet married, about how to attract a functional man. So uh, let us have a a thought or two here, Jackie, on uh, if you're saying, well, how to attract a functional man, because as you say, you were attracting the dysfunctional ones. How do you attract a functional man? So the thing is, is that um, when I met Marco, I was very attracted to his looks, but I wasn't attracted to him. And the reason why is I was naturally attracted to a narcissistic character. You know, the person who puts on the charm, the person who really puts on the facade. You know, if you are uh, in a relationship or just met someone and there's just this perfect picture, there's a lot of romance. You know, um, you want to meet someone who is real. And what, the reason why I didn't feel attracted to Marco was because he was so authentic and I wasn't used to that author- authenticity, you know, in, in a relationship. And so... Um, You know, I'd done so much work on myself. You know, what I was looking for was the behaviours within Marco, but the Lord had to show me the character. And, you know, and that's, that's something that's so important. Often we focus on, am I attracted to a person? You know, can I feel, can I fall in love with a person? And, you know, my, my heart was saying yes, but my head was really struggling with it. And I think that we just have to, we've got to get our self-awareness and understand ourselves. Well, who do I naturally attract? And is that person really a healthy person for me? And just as we wrap up our conversation, Jackie, coming back to the local church and 
if you've come from the sort of background that you have, you're probably not going to be thinking that those guys who are single in the local church necessarily are going to be the sorts of ones that you're you know, attracted to in a romantic way. But what you've just described is actually some of those guys who have been uh, growing in their local church, uh, appreciating the values, their own identity formed in Christ, uh, they may not actually in some ways have the same sort of uh, charisma as the ones you're talking about, but they actually might be a pretty good find. Is that uh, is that a stretch to, to suggest that? Uh, look, absolutely. There's plenty of great men out there. And I think as women, we really have to ask ourselves like what really matters in a relationship because often, you know, we're looking at how successful is he in his career or how well does he preach on the stage or, you know, you know, does he have leadership qualities? And, you know, all of that stuff was completely insignificant for me. You know, I knew that I could build um, a, a family and a marriage from scratch with the right person. So things like bank, bank balance or, you know, career, um, none of that mattered to me. You know, my husband's seven years younger than me and I actually had, I uh, was quite further along in the journey. So the way that his life, he was a backpacker. He'd come from Italy. He barely spoke English. Um, you know, we met on New Year's Eve watching the fireworks on Sydney Harbour. You know, the way that his life looked was so different to mine. And I was, you know, he wasn't my picture at the time. And I really struggled with the fact that I had this picture of a man and, and the Lord brought a person into my life that was the exact opposite to my picture. And, you know, and, he, and I had to be challenged on what really mattered. And, you know, what really mattered is character. You know, that's what really matters. Often in church, we know we, we have this thing, you know, well, is he a Christian? Well, there's so much more to a person than other than is he a Christian? And we have to look at, you know, what is the character of a person? Because that's the way that you build a strong marriage. You know, you're able to buy a house in the future by God's grace and faith. A person builds a career by God's grace and faith. But, you know, character is something that is built from our childhood. And that's what we have to look for. A lot of factors, aren't there? Jackie, wonderful getting your insights today. And I'll mention the name of your book for listeners who might want to get a hold of it. It's called Goodbye For Now, Goodbye Forever, Footsteps to a Functional Family. Jackie Chiveriati, C-I-V-E-R-I-A-T-I, Jackie Chiveriati. And she's also got a website you might like to visit, sheovercame.com sheovercame.com you're able to get a hold of Jackie's book on Amazon or Booktopia or from Kurong so uh, simply Google uh, goodbye for now goodbye forever Jackie Chiveriati Jackie thanks so much for uh, such an open hearted sharing of your own experience and uh, for others to glean some real wisdom from uh, your experience and uh, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to share your heart with us today on 2020 Neil, thank you so much. And I just pray, you know, for every listener out there today, if you are, you know, going through emotionally abusive behaviour, I just want to say, have the, um, choose to be an overcomer. Choose to be an overcomer. In Jesus' name. And, of course, there are all sorts of organisations that people do call on when they're in a time of crisis. Um, but let me just mention Vision Christian Prayer uh, for listeners today who are thinking, maybe I need to be prayerful about how I can take another step. You're wondering, how do I pray? Well, uh, some wonderful prayer-oriented people who are available at Vision Christian Prayer, one 800 772 936 
1-800-772-936 and they may, ha- they may be able to refer you on if you are needing extra help. Uh, thank you so much, Jackie. We'll talk again another day. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.